If you have your Bibles this evening, let me encourage you to join me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off this morning. And it's good to see some guests back uh, tonight. Welcome. We're glad that you are with us uh, this evening. May the Lord bless each one of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, if you weren't here with us this morning, uh, we're noticing that Paul is starting a new uh, section. He's going to be talking about being more committed to our marriages and uh, how encouraging that is to be encouraged to be committed to marriage. And thanks be unto God uh, for marriage. I thank God for my uh, sweet wife uh, who was at home this evening. Her pericarditis is not uh, doing too well tonight and is acting up. So she's uh, trying to do some studying for her big exam tomorrow, yet at the same time get the rest that she needs so that she can even take the test. So, honey, if you're watching or listening while you're studying, I'm praying for you, and I deeply love you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse number 7. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Remember, this uh, paragraph runs from chapter 7, verse 1, all the way down to verse number 16. That's the whole paragraph. I was only able to deal with the first six verses. If you missed that message, let me encourage you to go online and listen uh, to those first six verses. Uh, notice what he says in verse number 7. He says, For I would that all men were even as I myself, uh, but every man hath his proper gift of God, uh, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Uh, but if they cannot contain, uh, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn, and in re parenthetically in their passion, Burn in their passion is what he's saying there, verse 10. And to the unmarried, I command. Now watch this. Yet not I, but the Lord. So he's just going to say, listen, I'm going to tell you what the Lord says. Here's what the Lord Jesus Christ says. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. But... To the rest speak I. Now, so here's what Paul's saying. He says, that's what the Lord said. Now, here's what I'm going to add to what the Lord said. And I can do that, he's saying, because he's an apostle. And also he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he says, I've got something to say. But this is not from the Lord. This is from me. Adding to what the Lord said. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believe not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Uh, else uh, were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? You may be seated uh, this evening for prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit from the uh, crown of my head to the soles of my feet. I pray, Lord, for the filling uh, all the way to the top overflowing. Help me to preach from the overflow tonight. 
In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that as we've already looked at the mutual responsibilities, a picture, if you would, of a healthy marriage. Now we see Paul doing a little bit of correcting as he corrects the church at Corinth on some of the challenges that have existed inside their congregation. So, Father, I pray that as we read this corrective letter, may we see it as such. And, Lord, I also pray that where application needs to be, you would apply. And, God, where grace is needed, you would give us grace. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd get all the glory, honor, and praise above all else, Lord Jesus. I pray that there's someone lost and doesn't know the free pardon of sin, that tonight would be the night the scales fall from their eyes and that they are born again. We love you, and we thank you again for this time together. Blessed, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So now that Paul has given us a picture of what a healthy marriage is, and he said it's a mutual, there's some mutual aspects of a healthy marriage, and he gave us a picture of that, he now is going to correct their ascetic views by dealing with two issues. Number one, he's got a word of correction for singles. And then number two, he's got a word of correction for married couples. So let's look at it together. The first one in verses 7 through 9 is a word of correction to the singles. A word of correction to the singles. Uh, in this text, in these verses, Paul clarifies the gift of singleness. He's going to correct it. It's not a sin. Listen to me. If you're single today, you, there's nothing, nothing wrong with you. You're not some kind of crazy freak. There is the gift of singleness. Notice what the Bible says here. Paul says, For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, It is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess it's been a few months ago now, um, I got a phone call from a senior adult in tears. Uh, this dear precious senior adult said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. And I said, I surely will. What's wrong? said, you know my wife passed away. And she had passed away several months earlier prior to this phone call. I said, yes, sir. He says, I'm very, very lonely. Would you pray that God would send somebody that I could talk to? That God would send somebody that I could be a companion with? And I said, well, are you in Sunday school? He said, well, yes, sir, I'm in Sunday school, but I'm talking about a girl. <laughs> <laughs> so I commenced to pray. And uh, bless God, God gave him a companion. And, uh, but he, he simply is exercising this principle. He could not contain himself. And so uh, he is seeking marriage to this sweet widow lady uh, whose husband has also died. So we find here in this text, there's this word of clarification, if you would, to singles. I wrote down four points that I wanted to give you in regards to this. I hope that this will be an encouragement to you, in particular, especially if you are single. Number one, the first thing I want you to write down is this. Singleness is a spiritual gift for some. Singleness is a spiritual gift for some. Look at verse number 7 again. The Bible says, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man had his proper gift, one after this man and one after another. He uses that term proper. You see that there? I would underline that in my Bible. The word proper means belonging specifically to you. So those that are single have a gift that's given to them from God that's just for them. And we find that this gift is the gift of singleness. And then he goes on to say this. He doesn't just leave it in that realm. He says one after this manner and another after that. Which saying that also marriage is a gift. So he says there's a gift of singleness and then there's the gift of marriage. 
He says, and I thank God for both of those. He says, I wish that everybody were like me. Uh, now, it is a great debate on, on whether or not Paul ever was married. We know at this juncture he is not, which means one of two things has happened to Paul. A lot of scholars say that he most definitely had to be married sometime at some point in his life because he says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, and every Pharisee had to get married. And so in regards to that, uh, some say that if he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, then there was a time when he got married, which means one or two things. Either his wife died, or his wife left him and abandoned him, said, I don't want anything to do with this Christianity. I don't want nothing to do with that. And left him. Now the Bible doesn't say, we don't know, that's something we can talk to Paul about when we get to heaven. But he says here in this text, I wish everybody were like me and had the gift of singleness and uh, had that proper gift. But he says that there's two things. Singleness is a spiritual gift for some and so is marriage. Number two, singleness and marriage are both gifts. They are both gifts. Look at what the Scripture says. It says they are gifts of God. Now, that word gift, I'd underline that word gift because the word gift there is where we get our English word or our word, the word grace. It's the Greek word charisma. And it means a divine gift of grace. If you have singleness in your life, if you're able to live the single life, God has given you an extra portion of grace to live that way. Well, be honest with you. There ain't no way I'd live that way. I couldn't. I had no desire to be single. I look across the room today and I see many of you who live the single lifestyle. And whether you desire that or not, that's between you and the Lord. But this I do know, you're living life as a single now and God's given you an extra dose of grace. It is a gift, the grace of God, he says there in verse 7. Number three, if you long to get married, singleness is not the spiritual gift that you have. Look at verse number 9. Again, he says, But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn, in particular, their passions. Uh, I give you that illustration of that senior adult man. He does not want to burn in his passion. He wants to hold some little sweet lady's hand and put his little arm around her and kiss up on her cheeks, you know, real sweet. I better stop right there. Let me do say this about this word contain. He said they can't contain themselves. This is a present tense uh, verb here. And it's also uh, speaking in the, what we call the indicative mood, which means it's just a simple statement of fact, uh, which means to be self-controlled or content. They cannot be self-controlled uh, being single. They cannot be content being single. Uh, and there's another way of uh, trying to figure out whether or not you've got this giftedness or not. Can you be content living as a single uh, adult, a single man or a single woman? Can you, be, uh, not, uh, can you exercise self-control in a positive way? And then here's number four. The only appropriate outlet for sexual expression is marriage. Look at what he says in verse number nine. He says, but if they cannot contain themselves, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. He simply says there in the text that the only appropriate outlet for sexual expression is marriage. Let them marry rather than burn. So let me make some applications here in this section very quickly and we'll move on to the next one. Application number one. Singleness is not a disease and it does not mean you're broken. That's important. I'm telling you, that'll help somebody today if you'll receive it. You're not broken. Paul says in the text, he says, even I myself. He says, you like me. He says, you just like me uh, if you're single. 
And if you're able to live that way, to God be the glory is giving you that extra dose of grace. Application number two, not only are you not sick or there's something wrong with you. Number two, marriage is not meant to be the goal in life. It's not meant to be the goal in life. No, the goal in a believer's life is to glorify God with our bodies and our life wherever we go. We're to pursue purity. We're to pursue contentment. And uh, we are to focus on God. This is one of the things that a lot of singles get frustrated with because as a God's not sending me anybody. Well, you're looking too hard. You focus on God and you have the right relationship with God. When God's ready to send somebody in your life, He'll do it. I had a dear friend uh, uh, who I would uh, sit for his house uh, uh, for the longest. He was an evangelist. Man, he just absolutely was uh, tore out of the frame. He was in his 40s, and he still wasn't married yet. He just was begging God, God, please, please, please. And yet, until he put his focus 100% on God and just gave God, said, God, I'm going to marry you. You're going to be mine. I'm, I'm yours and you're mine. If you ever give me a wife, praise God. If not, then praise God. And then did you know God turned around and gave him a wife? It's amazing. Marriage is not meant to be the goal in life. Pursuing God with your whole heart is. Number three. Third application. Marriage is a great gift, but it's a dangerous goal. Why? Why is marriage a dangerous goal? What makes it so dangerous? I'll tell you what makes marriage dangerous. Unspoken expectations. Within a marriage, there are unspoken expectations. And because of that, there's a great danger that lies within marriage. Uh, many times uh, couples will come in my office and they're upset because they feel like they've got to be mind readers of their spouse. I can't read my spouse's mind. Uh, I can't read Miriam's mind. Miriam can't read my mind. So well, how do y'all get along? We communicate. And you see, the key here in, the, in relationship to communication is talking about or speaking out these unspoken expectations. I expect this. I expected this to happen. It hurt my feelings because this didn't happen. You got to talk about those unspoken expectations if you want to have a healthy marriage. Marriage is a great gift, but it can be a dangerous goal. So, so let me give you just some homework here at this juncture for our married couples that are here tonight. Here is a homework assignment for you. I gave a homework assignment in the 815 service, not in the 930 and 11, but here's the homework assignment for tonight. Before you go to bed tonight, and I hope that there'd be some men that would take the bull by the horns and go ahead and, 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 and step out on faith and say something like this. But say something like this to your spouse. Ask her this question. How do you feel our intimate life is going? How do you feel our intimate life is going? Here's something else. Honey, what do we need to talk about about this? And then let me give you one more. I'm just trying to help you. Here's one more. What is one thing I can do to improve our relationship overall? What is one thing I can do? Now, wives, if he asks you these questions, will you do your pastor a favor? Will you just give him one thing? Don't give him four or five. I promise he won't hear you. I promise. One thing, one thing at a time. What's one thing, one practical thing that I can do to improve our relationship overall? He gives this word to singles because it is a dangerous goal. So number two, here's the second part, and let's get down into the nitty-gritty here in verses 10 through 16. Here's a word of caution to the married. 
uh, or a word of correction to the married. A word of correction to the married, verses 10 through 16. In these verses, Paul uh, breaks his teaching down into two parts. Two parts of Paul's teaching. Part number one is Jesus' command. Jesus' command. It's found in verse 10 and 11. It's Jesus' command. Look at what he says. He says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and... If she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. Now let me go ahead and deal with verse 10 if you could where it says but and. You see that? Isn't that a frustrating comment? Don't let them divorce but and if they do. <laughs> I mean it's, it's kind of like what? You kind of what is going on here? So what we're finding here in this text, Paul is relaying back to what Jesus said. We're going to look at it tonight, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 31 and 32, if you want to go ahead and over in that direction. He's dealing with that. He's also dealing with Matthew chapter 19, what Jesus said. He says what he's saying is, okay, here's the standard. This is the standard by which God has called us. But, Paul says, I also know that reality is not always following the standard. He says, so, in a perfect world, we don't, divorce does not happen. But being in Corinth, Paul says, I know that it does. So if it does happen, let her remain unmarried. So let's think about what Jesus said. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 31 and 32, here's Jesus' command regarding uh, divorce and marriage. Paul's dealing with it tonight. Here's what he says. Jesus says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, that means divorce his wife, let him give her a written, uh, uh, give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving from the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So Paul is referring to this verse. Remember, Jesus said that there is a biblical mandate, if you would, or a biblical allowance for divorce, and that is fornication uh, or adultery. Turn over, if you would, just a few pages to Matthew chapter 19, and Jesus got something else to say about this. Paul is also referring to this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 19, in verses 5 and 6. Again, he is doing his teaching on divorce here, uh, in particular, for time's sake. You can read the whole thing when you get home. But here, verse 5. The Bible says, And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh. Wherefore, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder, or separate. Jesus commands, uh, outside of adultery, that we need to be able to stay married and reconciled. Now, I know there is a bunch of stuff there. I completely understand it. You might be thinking, all these things are running through your head. Yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? Hopefully there'll be some clarity as we walk through this tonight. But let's think about what Jesus said. Divorce is contrary to God's plan for mankind. And when allowed in cases of adultery is only a gracious concession to the innocent party in an irreconcilable case of unfaithfulness. Where there's repentance, there can be restoration. Paul 
was not discussing divorce based on adultery. He's not talking about that in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we find here in the text for uh, which Jesus was specifically affirming the provision in Matthew 5:32 and Matthew 19:8 and 9. What he's talking about is divorce for other reasons, even supposedly spiritual ones. Where do you get that? Verse 11. Look at what he says. He says, "But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be re- reconciled to her husband." And let not the husband put away his wife. Paul is speaking in the context in regards to the church at Corinth because they were wanting to get married, because everybody wanted to get divorced and remarried because everybody else was doing it. What they really thought is they could really pursue God more if they did not have to take care of their spouse. And he says, no, this is not accurate. You can't do this. You've got to stay married unless there's adultery that's taking place in the relationship. If a Christian does divorce another Christian, except for adultery, neither partner is free to marry another. They must stay single or rejoin their former mate. In God's eyes, that union has never been broken. Paul, again, listen to me, is speaking of the Lord's command. He's just saying, this is what Jesus said. That's what he said. Jesus said this. So we have Jesus' command. Watch this. In verses 12 through 16, Paul is going to give us his revelation. Not only do we see Jesus' commands, but we also see Paul's revelation. In verses 12 through 16, he says, To the rest speak I. Paul is going to teach two very hard lessons about marriage and divorce that Jesus did not speak about. And it's important to understand Uh, that number one, Paul is an apostle. Uh, He defends his apostleship in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We know that he was an apostle. He saw the risen Lord. That's the major requirement to be an apostle. Number two, he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So because he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, because he's an apostle, he can come alongside Jesus and say, Jesus didn't talk about this, but I am under the authority of the Holy Spirit of God, so I'm going to speak to these things. Know that it's not the Lord. It's I'm speaking to these things because Jesus did not cover them. Here they are. Lesson number one. Christians who are married to unbelievers who want to stay married to unbelievers. That's verses 12, 13, and 14. Look at it with me. He says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother, that is a born-again child of God, hath a wife that believeth not. She's lost. She don't know Jesus Christ. And she be pleased uh, to dwell with him. She's, She's lost, but she don't mind living with a Christian. Let him not put her away. Notice verse next, verse 13. And the woman, which hath a husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So the uh, teaching is quite simple. If there's a Christian that's married to an unbeliever, and yet they want to stay married, then here's what Paul says. Stay married. Just stay married. Do not Divorce. That's the first point that he says. And then he gives the reason in verse 14. Watch this. Look at what he says. Here's the reason why. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are, or are they, holy. 
Now, let, let's make sure we understand what Paul's saying here. When you see this uh, word sanctified and holy, it means to set apart. Now, when you think about the word set apart, there are two particular uh, areas that it could be set apart in. It could be set apart theologically, uh, or if you would, set apart spiritually, or it can be meaning being set apart relationally. In the context that Paul writes this, he's saying that they are set apart relationally. How do you know that, Pastor? I know that because just because one marriage uh, uh, spouse is saved and the other is lost does not mean that that lost person or that lost uh, uh, married couple, that lost spouse, is going to heaven when they die. So if that be the case then, what, what does this mean? If being set apart is dealing in the relation area and not the spiritual or the theological, what is he talking about here if he's not talking about salvation? This is what he's referring to here. Paul is not saying being married to a believer makes one a Christian. Here's what he means. God blesses those who are close to whom God is blessing. Don't miss this. God is close to those whom God blesses. And those that are close to those blessings of God, they get blessed. I have a good friend of mine uh, who is a, uh, uh, he owns a construction company. A very, very generous man. Loves the Lord with all of his heart. Very generous and uh, he has made deals that only the Lord knows and has given away a lot of things and has blessed a lot of people. There's one person in particular I think about, the man's lost. We've, man, I've witnessed to him a hundred times. I, I've shared the gospel with him. Uh, he says that he's good. You met those people, I'm good, I'm good, I'm all right, I'm good. And he's lost as a ball in high weeds. But the fact of the matter is we've witnessed and witnessed and here is uh, this wonderful friend of mine who has continually taken care of this man even in his poor health, even without a job. He still sends him a check, still loving him. He is blessing him. Why? Because this individual that's a friend of mine is a born-again child of God and he is blessing that person who is lost and doesn't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. We could say it like this. Your righteousness impacts people around you. Your righteousness impacts people around you. Let me show you a passage of Scripture. Take uh, your Bibles and, and let's find Proverbs chapter 20 in verse 7. Uh, let's go uh, Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 20, uh, verse 7. I thought about this verse when I was reading uh, this passage of Scripture. It's right after Psalms, Psalms, Proverbs. Somebody's got my Bible. They've moved Proverbs. Proverbs, here it is, Proverbs chapter 20. Let me show you this, you'll like this. Verse number 7. Here's what the Bible says. The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. It's not speaking of the salvation of the kids, is it, Pastor David? It's speaking of the blessings that are, are given to those children because of the integrity or the righteous. That word integrity means righteous. It's because of the righteousness of the dad. Because of the righteousness of the dad, the children are blessed. Man, I'm telling you, you're talking about motivation to live a righteous life, uh, dads, is to have your children's, children blessed. Well, what are you saying? Your righteousness impacts your children, whether they be saved or lost. You got a lost son or daughter? 
then you keep walking with Jesus Christ and let your righteousness pour over into them. Uh, Here's another one since we're in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Uh, Let's look down in verse number 26. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 26. In the fear of the Lord, or in the fear of the Lord, is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Uh, You find here in this text, by reverencing God, by fearing the Lord, that we have this strong confidence in the Hebrew, the Bible says. And this strong confidence pours over from us, over into our children, and they have a refuge. They have a place to come to. They have a shelter. They have a place to run into. Why? Because of our righteousness and the fear that we have from God. Your righteousness impacts people near you. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. Another beautiful illustration of this is Genesis chapter 18, verse 23 through 33. In Genesis 18... Uh, verses 23 through 33, we know this. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, And we know that uh, there's this conversation going back and forth. God, will you destroy the city if there's 50 people? Will you destroy it if there's 45? Uh, What if there's 40? What if there's 30? And they just keeps going right on down uh, the line. And and God says, no, I'm not going to destroy the city. But the problem is there was nobody that was righteous in that city. But, But don't miss the point. The point was, had there been one righteous person in the city, God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. Say, well, why is God's judgment hadn't fought, fallen on the United States of America? Because we are receiving the blessings of our forefathers and the righteous remnant that's in this world today carries those blessings over to the next generation. So the point, again, here is that your righteousness impacts those that are near you. That's point number one. Point number two here that we find here is not only does he say stay married, But he also says here, the best way for your spouse and children to find Christ is to stay married. Now remember, they want to stay together. The lost spouse wants to stay with the saved spouse. And because of that, the righteousness in that saved spouse is pouring over into the family. That lost spouse is still lost, but there's a witness being lived out before that lost spouse. And it is the greatest way for that lost spouse to see Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified uh, by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Now they are set apart. Look at verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save Thy wife. He just simply says, you don't know. Now, this is not a promise. Get this. It's not a promise. No guarantee. But he says, your witness could impact their life where they make a decision for Jesus Christ. So, he says, stay together. Stay together. If you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever wants to stay married, don't divorce them. Stay married. Lesson number two. Lesson number two. Here's the second lesson. The second lesson Paul talks about is Christians married to unbelievers who want to leave. Christians who are married to unbelievers who want to leave. Notice verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. 
But God hath called us to peace. According to this passage of Scripture, Paul is saying, if your spouse abandons you, divorce is allowable. You can't read it any other way. I don't, I don't care how you slice it. That's what it says. That is what Paul is saying. If your spouse wants to divorce you, they're lost, they don't want to be with you, let them go. So now, according to Scripture, now don't miss this, according to the Word of God, according to the Scriptures, there are three grounds to dissolve a marriage. There are three. Number one, death. Romans chapter 7, verse 2. Death. When a spouse dies, you are free from that marriage bond. Number two, adultery. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Jesus said it with his own lips. That because of adultery, you can issue a certificate of divorce. And that certificate of divorce, uh, you can get a divorce. Number three. An unbelieving, an unbeliever leaving you, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. When the husband is broken in any of these ways, or excuse me, when the, when the bond of marriage is broken in any of these ways, a Christian is free to remarry. Why? Verse 15. Look at it. Don't miss it. Notice what he says there. He says in verse 15 in the latter part, but God hath called us to peace. Let them go. Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says this. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. But when an unbeliever wants out of a marriage, the peace no longer depends upon the Christian. Uh, listen to what John Maxwell said, and I quote him tonight. Many Christians have tried to keep a marriage together even when the spouse was unbelieving and wanted a divorce. But that uh, course is against God's will. Let him or her leave. Let them leave. It's not a permission, but a command by God. End of quote. So watch the conclusion. The conclusion is, God, listen to me, God does not want us, He doesn't want you, He doesn't want any of us to be in abusive relationships. Please hear me very clearly this evening as I come to a close. God doesn't want you to be beat by your spouse. Paul, neither God is saying that you got to stay in there and take it like a, like a big boy or a big girl. No, you hear me. If you're being beat on by your spouse, get out. Call the church. Call a deacon. Call uh, the pastor. Call me. Call, some, call somebody and get out. God does not want you in an abusive relationship. If you are divorced and remarried, and it doesn't fall into one of these three categories, and you're concerned, what do you do? What do you do? I, I don't, I'm divorced, and I'm remarried, and, and I feel like I'm living in an unbiblical marriage. What do I do? Can I give you three things? Number one, the first one is confess it. 
Confess it to God. Say, God, I don't think this is right. I'm confessing this to you. I'm asking you to forgive me. Then number two, watch this. Embrace God's forgiveness. This is not the unpardonable sin. Embrace God's... See, here's the problem that we have in modern-day Christianity in the 21st century. We say we believe God's Word. We say we love God. We say we love others. But you let one of our members fall. You let one of our brothers and sisters fall. And you watch how, the, how Christians respond. They will kick that brother or sister for years and years and years. Oh, they're forgiven of God, but bless God, we talk about them every chance we get. No, listen. We ought to embrace the forgiveness of God. And we ought to celebrate the forgiveness of God. And then here's the third thing. Please God in that marriage. Just please God in the marriage that you're in. Uh, Don't try to do anything different. I I preached in Uganda. Uh, Actually, it was in Ghana. I was in Ghana, West Africa. And uh, they called me to a village. And in that village... um, we had one, the chief and the whole village trusted Christ as Savior. I, it was wonderful. Uh, but they asked if I would come back because the chief had already had three wives. And they wanted to know whether or not he could get two more. Now, he was a Christian. And so they said, will you please come and teach us what the Bible says about divorce and and." and and marriage and all, because uh, they were debating on this, could he have two wives, or does he need to get rid of, of two, two wives? What does he need to do? And so uh, off I went. I went down there, and we sat down. And, and uh, in, the, in, in Ghana, in West Africa, it's a really um, it's an interesting hierarchy. When you approach an elder, a chief, uh, you've got to get real low, like this, and you, gotta, you clap like this with your head down, until you approach him, and then when you get close to him, if he receives you, he'll reach his hand out, and you take his hand, and he pulls you up. And so we did all the formalities and got there and all, and we got down to the nitty-gritty. And the, the bottom line was this. He's already married, got three wives, and here's, here's just what I told him. According to the Word of God, don't get married anymore. Stop. Stop. And number two... Take care of the wives that you have. Just take care of them. Just take care of them. But don't get married anymore. You're done. I'm cutting you off. (laughs) You're done. And he said thank you. He was so excited. And look, you'll love this story. He was so set free. They were were dancing. You know, they were doing this right here. And they were dancing about it. And he says, he he pointed, he said, you wait here. Of course, he didn't speak anything. Through the interpreter, the interpreter said, he won't you wait here. And so I said, okay. And I I stood there and off he went. And he came back. And Labe, this is what he paid me. He he wanted to pay me. He wanted to make sure I was taken care of. I'm going to pay the preacher for coming and setting him straight. He gave me a bag of peanuts. Don't worry, Brother Gary, I didn't bring them. I did not bring them home. I didn't, I promise. I left them in Africa. But he gave me a bag of peanuts and a duck. A live duck. I'm sitting here with a bag of peanuts in one hand and a, and a duck with a, around the neck like this right here. And I look over there at my interpreter and he's salivating. I mean, he just thinks I just got $1,000. And so you know what I did? I paid my interpreter with that. And we were able to rejoice with that. And so why do you tell that story? I tell it to break up the monotony because this is some hard stuff.
And the bottom line is just simply this. If you are divorced and remarried, please, just recognize that if it's not biblical, if it doesn't fall into one of these three biblical categories, confess it as sin. Confess it. Embrace God's forgiveness. And then please God with your marriage. An unbiblical marriage is not the unpardonable sin. Grace is greater. Forgiveness is greater. Love is greater. Seek God's face. He loves you. And I praise God for the love He has for us. Now, I know that when you preach a message like this, you have a lot of questions and you think about, well, what about my particular situation? What what about my situation? I know each and every situation is different. And each and every situation has an answer from God. Remember, in closing this evening, this letter to the church at Corinth was a corrective letter. He's correcting the questions that they had of him. This is not Paul's manifesto on marriage. Paul's teaching and views on marriage is in Ephesians chapter 5. And so with that said, he's correcting the church at Corinth in their skewed view of the sexual immorality that's taking place there in Corinth and everybody wanting to get a divorce thinking that they're going to be in a better relationship with Jesus Christ. No, Paul just simply says it is better, it's better, it's better to forgive each other But if you can't forgive one another, there are three rules in regards to this issue of divorce and remarriage. Death, adultery, or an unbelieving spouse that leaves you. Dear friends, I thank God that He loves us enough to give us the Word of God and to help us every time that we need it. I hope, too, that if you're here this evening or you're listening by way of internet, and you have a specific question about your specific situation, I hope that you would reach out to me or one of our staff members through an email and let us minister to you. What a precious opportunity I had this morning after the 9.30 service where a dear sweet lady came up and said, uh, uh, I left. I, I just left. And I said, you, you left? He said, yeah, I left. He says, I'm a member of another church. And God t- I woke up and I just had this, this really, really sincere, deep impression to come to this church this morning. And, and so I came, I came. And, and, and now I'm mad. I'm mad because this mutual uh, aspects that you're talking about, it's not going to happen in my marriage. It will not happen because my husband left me. He abandoned me. And right, right down front here at the altar, I was able to say, ma'am, let me just show you right real quick, because what I said this morning was this. This is the introduction to his teaching. This is a picture. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, is a picture of a healthy marriage. But your teaching and what you're going through is found right there in chapter 7, verse 15. You see this right here. Oh, when we shared this verse here, tears began to come down her cheek, and she was praising God. I don't know if you're here tonight. I thank God if you are. But I thank God you got the victory this morning. And I hope that others get the victory today. God established marriage. We get in trouble when we try to operate a biblical marriage from a messed up cultural point of view. 
it's always better to operate it from God's point of view. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Could I encourage you in this respect? The first thing that you must do is you must get right with God. You must know that you're going to heaven when you die. The Bible says you can know. And if the Scriptures say that you can know, my question then is, do you know how? Do you know how to know you're going to heaven when you die? Say, preacher, how might I know that? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, dear friend, if you want to be saved tonight, if you want to have that connection with God, you want to get right with God, you want to get on the right track, you, whatever you want to call it, you want a relationship with God Almighty, confess with your mouth, and have faith, believe in your heart so I'm not quite sure how to do that, preacher. Could you help me? I could. Would you say this to God to the best of your ability? Right there where you're sitting. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And this morning I ask you, or this evening I ask you, to forgive me of my sins. I repent and trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.